Due to the outdoor service at Fellowship Rogers on October 8th, the service was not live-streamed. To keep up with the study of Philippians, the following audio is from the 9 a.m. service at Fellowship Fayetteville. Well, hey, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. It's a nice little chilly fall morning. Excited to gather in this room and, and to worship with you all. My name is Ryan. I'm a worship leader here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Welcome in as you're coming in from the foyer. Uh, let's come in and let's stand together. Um, let's be reminded of this song we're about to sing. It comes from the text, Psalm 81, verse 16. It says, but you would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. So our Lord not only gives us the things we need to provide sustenance and wheat, but he also gives us sweet things in life, these joys that we can have in the form of honey in this verse. And so that's what this song is about. So we're gonna sing it together. So let's, let's do that this morning. It's honey in the rock, water in the stone, man on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know everything I need, you got this honey. Sweetness at the mercy seat, now I'll taste it, it's not hard to see, only you can satisfy, it's only in the rock, it's only
start off this morning if we could pray for what is going on in Israel right now. So please join me. Dear God, uh, we just come to you with our hearts broken, dear God, with uh, what we are hearing and what we are seeing um, on our screens. And God, we know it's a very complex situation, um, but I do know two things, dear Lord, that we have a very strong desire to see the violence come to an end. And God, second of all, we believe that you are the answer, that Jesus Christ is the answer, that you are the Prince of Peace. And so we pray that through this and through the tragedies that we are seeing, that people would come to know you and make you Lord and Savior uh, over them. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, if you were... At this service a couple of weeks ago, uh, I had the honor and privilege uh, to speak before y'all. By the way, my name is Brian Pope. I'm the global outreach pastor uh, here at Fellowship. And if you're a part of that service, you might have seen I brought a very large prop on the stage and went through my entire teaching and did not address the prop at all whatsoever. The service came to an end and it was carried off. So I just wanted to apologize to you. And you're probably going to think, oh, this is where he's going to explain it. And I'm just going to let the mystery rest uh, there. So it will forever be a mystery. I had a bunch of people tell me about it, and I just forgot. I apologize. Uh, I apologize. But hey, I did want to address something else that I talked about even a couple weeks before that, is that we wanted to do a global interest lunch for those of y'all who are interested on how do we learn more about missions, or even more specifically, how do we become more involved with God's global purpose? And I wanna be honest with y'all, this has never happened before. I, I'm just so blessed by y'all. When I thought about this lunch, I was like, man, we're gonna have 20 or 30 people, maybe max, uh, sign up for this. There's over a hundred of y'all that are coming uh, today after church. Give yourselves a hand. You have completely destroyed my budget uh, for this event. We are still going to feed you, uh, but super excited about this. I've never done an announcement where I've said, man, we're full. Um, but we are full. Um, maybe have a spot for a couple more of y'all if you really were like, oh, I wanna go to that. Uh, maybe a couple more spots, but so excited uh, that we are full uh, today, and that's never happened with anything with missions before, ever, ever. Love y'all so much. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, there's a conference that's coming to Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, we have some fans out there. Hey. This is really exciting. As a matter of fact, when, when I became the global pastor, we really said, like, hey, if there's one conference that we could point people to, uh, we'd point them to this. And it's a good friend of mine, Nathan Allen, missions pastor over at New Heights, who's been organizing this and putting it together. If you do have a desire um, to learn more about missions, this is a great, great thing to go. You don't have to travel far. It's at the same place that New Heights meets. And I really encourage you. Uh, to sign up and be a part uh, of this. And finally, I want to introduce you to uh, a dear couple. Uh, Y'all want to come on up? 
Hudgens and Taylor. Woo-woo! Yes. So I got to know them uh, this past year and became really close and just be able to see their passion, uh, starting off with U of A students and then seeing them grow globally and, and have a heart for the nations. And as I got to know them, I also got, had the honor of, to marry these two just about a month ago, right? Yeah, it was, it was an incredible, incredible experience. So we have newlyweds and they're going to be on staff with crew and then their plan is, is to go serve uh, over in the Middle East where, as we just prayed, they desperately need Jesus. And so they'll be reading the scripture for us this morning. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine, like, you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that it did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Church, if you could, if you see any seats, if you could scoot to the left, to your left, it's gonna help us. We got some people still coming in the back. They'll uh, help the ushers identify more open seats. So if you could scoot to the left, that'd be really helpful. Um, every week we gather and, um, and we want to confess before the Lord that we're, we're broken people. It's good for our hearts to, to remind ourselves that we, we are in need of a Savior. And so let's do that this morning together. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. And that's true. That's true for every one of us in here. It's true um, for us. Before we gave our lives to Jesus, there's, I'm sure, a lot of you that are just checking out what this church thing is. And, and what we just read is true for you as well. But for those of us that have believed in Jesus, we believe in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and there's good news to our story. And so church, we're reminded of that every week as well. So church, believe the good news that Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever ever. Amen. And we get to celebrate this good news, this good gospel proclamation with believers baptism this morning. Well, good morning, fellowship. Uh, my name is Mark. This is Marin, and um, her family and friends are down here with us as well. Um, are you guys coming up or a little late for that maybe? Yeah, just, yeah come on, come on, come on up. Hey guys, this is a really, really special day. 
not just because Maren's following the Lord in baptism, but today is her 11th birthday today. And maybe a reason that's so special is because um, her mom and I tried a long time to have kiddos. And I still remember the day we got the phone call at my office that we were gonna have a little baby girl and didn't know it was a girl at the time, but it ended up being Marin. And today, on this special day of her 11th year, we get to baptize her. She's so excited and so am I. So Marin, I love you. Take a look at your friends, your family, your church family, and how many people are here to support you. So is it your testimony today that you've accepted Christ and that you desire to follow him all the days of your life? Then Marin, it is my joy and my privilege and my humble honor to baptize you, my sister and my daughter, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Thank you, guys. Good morning. This is Emmy Massey. She comes professor of faith. Emmy and I got to know each other about three years ago when our families were doing community together. And uh, uh, Emmy was always ready to help. She always was there and prepared, like not like other people, right? And uh, but Emmy was all. She always had notes. Always asked questions. And, uh, and she was just a champion in that community group. And uh, now she's uh, actually uh, helping in uh, kids every Sunday, so she's using her gifts. So, Emmy, is it your testimony that you have accepted Christ and that you're gonna love and follow him the rest of your days? With that testimony, my sister, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. There we go. Amen. Would you stand with us and we'll continue to celebrate and worship with song. Here I am to worship. 
celebrate together baptism we see week after week that you're moving in our lives collectively as a church and individually something like believers baptism so so father we're thankful you are very wonderful to us we love you it's in your son's name amen church you can have a seat thank you ryan and team and uh, we don't often do this but i just wanted to acknowledge um, both Randy Smith, family friend of the Masseys, and also uh, Mark Yant, his community of faith. And if you're a young dad trying to navigate what it means to be an intentional dad who follows Jesus, imperfect, um, but in love with Jesus and trying to proclaim his kingdom in the next generation, those are two dads that are killing it in that space. And uh, I would encourage you, if you're trying to navigate that world, um, hunt those guys down. I'm not going to give you their cell numbers. But they're worth spending time with, and they may kick me for saying that later. Um, but we very, very few times get a chance to just honor the work of Jesus in our men, in our church. And uh, you guys are heroes to me, and I've watched you parent, and, uh, and you guys are killing it. And so really appreciate you guys and your testimony in our community. Um, as we get started here, I wanted to just make mention of some of you who have gone through the process of becoming members here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Um, If your name is on the screen, go ahead and stand. I'm not going to make you walk down the aisle and transfer your letter of intent, right? All right, but go ahead and stand. If your name is on the screen, do you stand? There you go. Okay. Maybe most of them are in the, most of them are probably in the 1045 service. Hey, if you don't know, we have a process called Discover. You can sit down now. Yeah. We have a process called Discover Fellowship, where we walk through why we do church the way we do it, our ecclesiology, our philosophy of ministry. Uh, We unpack that on how to grow and follow Jesus in the context of a small group for six weeks. And then each person has the opportunity to share their Christ story and how Jesus intersected them with their faith and what it means to follow him. And then they have the chance to sign a membership covenant All of these people have just finished that process, and now they're part of our 
community of faith as members of Fellowship Fayetteville. And so if you have an interest of that, we have an opportunity to do that every January, every August, and every May. And so keep that on your radar if you want more information about membership. Well, my name's Clark, and I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And I always consider it a great privilege to be with you. You're my church family. And so we're members of one body together here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And one of the cool things about God's great concern and care for us is that he gives us a peek into some of the first century churches to help us learn how to get along and be members with one another. And that's where we find ourselves um, with the Church of Philippi this morning. If you have your Bibles or your device, your iPad, your phone, go ahead and open that up. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to just work through um, verses 12 to 18, as you heard the, the new Jeter family read this morning. And we're going to see the example of a man that the gospel has done a great work in. And now he, as he follows Jesus, he's going to lay his life down for this group of people. They've got a few roadblocks inside their community of faith, some hurdles, um, some grumbling, some complaining, some arguing going on, and he's going to point them back to Jesus. And so um, this is where we'll be this morning. We're going to see that God is working through the gospel in the church and by Paul's example, and he's going to give them a motivation for obedience and what it means to follow Jesus, kind of the big why behind um, all the commands that he gives us that are coming up over the next um, few chapters. And so we're going to pick it up right out of the gate uh, where we left off last week um, with the first word. Therefore, verse 12, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Therefore, as we learn how to study the Bible together, when you see a therefore or a so then, you go back to what was just said. He's about to give us an imperative or a command or a behavior to change or to walk away from or to do. Why? Therefore, because of what was just said. And so the first thing we note here is a motive. And when you see that word, it's telling us the why, um, which I also think is an incredible parenting and a spiritual parenting principle. If you're in, in an intentional discipleship or mentoring relationship right now, if you're a parent, we always teach the why with the what, okay? We joke about, hey, just do what I say to do. You don't need a why. But Paul's really instructive as a good spiritual shepherd and a spiritual parent to this church to give them the why behind the what. And so that's what the therefore is. And so we go back to the previous section. You can see it on the screen there. Verses five or about verses six through 11 there. And he gives us the why. Because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and we'll focus in on that specific section in the middle, the pinnacle of that passage, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name. My church friends, and those of you that are probably inquiring about Jesus and you found yourself here this morning, the great motive behind all we do from a behavior perspective is the gospel message. Because of what Jesus has done in his death and his resurrection, now be this. Now do this. This is the power. This is the big why for you to accomplish 
what I'm asking you to do in the context of the church. And you can see that. God is working the truths of the gospel to motivate or to fuel obedience in the life of this small church in Philippi. He's working through the gospel as a motive, but he's also doing it inside a community of faith, inside the church. And you can see that there at the, in the middle part of verse 13. As you have always obeyed, he's affirming, remember this is an encouraging letter, as you've always obeyed, he goes on to say, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling as you have always obeyed. He's speaking, a lot of times we read this as personal letters, and, and let, me, let me say this, individual responsibility, community application, all right? So the commands he's given is, is to a y'all, as we would say here in Arkansas, is to you all, it's plural, as you've Church at Philippi, always obeyed. Y'all continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because of the humility of Jesus in the death and his exaltation in the resurrection. Because that's true, because it's changed you, Philippian church. Lydia, 10 years old in the faith. Philippian jailer and your family, about 10 years old in the faith. Because of the gospel, now you live out what God has already started. Keep obeying. This obey, the way it's used here, it, 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 the idea is to continue to keep fighting, to finish the work that God began in you. It's literally what the Greek word means, where it means to work fully, to fashion, to finish and bring to completion what God has started. And you can make a Practical application is we see one of the issues at stake is this young church is trying to get along with one another and there's some disagreements going on. Um, you could practically make a case, not just live out what God started in you, but y'all work this out. Work this out among yourselves, this disagreement, and let the gospel be the motive. He also gives us this other motive. We don't like to think about this as those who are securing Christ a lot of times, but he uses this idea and Paul walks in it consistently in his own walk with Jesus, fear and trembling. It just implies a sense of reverence or awe that as a believer in Jesus, we, you, our church, Fellowship Fayetteville, we are accountable to God. And there is someone that we answer to. And it's our great God. And so we do that with a sense of reverence and awe because of what God has fashioned and formed in us because of the gospel. And so we see different motives here, the gospel, fear and trembling. We're later gonna see, hey, your testimony matters in this dark world. And then we'll see that Paul's labor and his example matters. Now, this language is not unique to this passage. And if you see here in verse 13, he also affirms God's great work in them. And so, um, I know that sometimes uh, we often come to a passage like this and we go, all right, now I gotta go do this thing, okay? We need to remember that God is doing this thing in and through the church, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according in order uh, to fulfill his good purpose. The, the word that's used there for, uh, for work there is efforting. It's a deed on the behalf of. It's what God is doing in and through this Philippian church and in and through those individuals. It's the same idea that we considered in 
chapter one, verse six, where he who began this work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so we're not in this alone. Philippian church, because of the gospel, obey, do, practice, be what I've called you to be. Why? Because I'm working in you. I'm at work. God's spirit is at work in you. Now, I'm going to individualize this example a little bit, but I think it's, a, it's an application that can apply to the greater behavior things that we're navigating even in our church from a corporate perspective. And you have your sins that you're working through and trying to repent from. Um, it's, it's no secret, I've shared this before, that one of the sins that I've battled much of my life is the sin of anger. And some have suggested it's a secondary emotion. There's other root things in my heart that cause me to be like that. And as I began to walk with Jesus, I was not cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And honestly, I wasn't secure enough to recognize that I wasn't God. And I know that sounds really silly, because we know I'm not, and I know you're not. Do we not act like we are? And I really struggled to control outcomes especially with people that I loved and cared about, and I couldn't fix people. And when I couldn't control an outcome, I would get angry, walking in patience, harshness, not in the fruit of the Spirit. Being right, for me, was more important than relationships. I wanted to win and just be right at the expense of relationships with others. Justification, what God did in me to make me right before Jesus was something God did. Now, sanctification, my growth, is something that I got now. God, you you got me in here, but now I'm going to work really hard, and I can change myself because, what? guess what? I'm disciplined, and I'm just not going to be angry anymore. And so I'd get angry even saying it, you know? This was one of my big misses as a baby Christian, and I have a deep concern for this in the life of this church, too, that we think that God is not involved in our growing process. It's something that you do, that we have to work to actually save ourselves or to keep this thing that God did. See the screen here, and this is super simplistic. I know for you deep theologians out here, we could probably put more words on the screen, But just notice the process. Justification is when God puts on us no longer condemned because of the work of Jesus on your behalf and his resurrection that is credited to your account, okay? This is good news. It's only God is involved in this. We respond through an act of grace and faith and trust in him, all right? God's at work. Sanctification, he brings us in on the process. He's committed, as we've learned in Philippians 1, 6 and here, to work and grow you as a follower and to form you into his image. But he involves us in our response, in this grit, this thing we call discipline. He involves us in that. And then glorification is the day that we look forward to. And Paul keeps referencing it um, all through this letter. There's a day coming where we're going to be glorified with Jesus. We're going to be made like him. Friends, that's a work of God. Only he can fully bring that to completion. So that's where we fit into this process. Consider the language. Again, we looked at verse six from chapter one. Um, We studied Ephesians together um, last year. Ephesians 2.10, see the language, church, church at Ephesus, 
We are God's handiwork. God's at work, created in Christ Jesus to do what? For you to do these works, which he prepared beforehand in advance for us to do. In Colossians 1, 29, um, Paul is efforting, and you can see the language here. He's strenuously contending with all the what? With all the energy that Christ is working in and through him. And he's doing this for the benefit of the Colossian church. He's working hard on their behalf. We also see in 2 Timothy 2.1, we like to quote 2.2, and we like to look at all the imagery that Paul uses to motivate people to make disciples of the next generation. Verse 1 is so important. Before you can be a soldier, before you can be an athlete, before you can be a farmer, before you can reproduce yourself spiritually, what does he tell him? He says, you then, my son, be strong in the what? The grace. Grace is God's favor on you in Christ to effectually transform you into the image of his son. God is at work. Be strong in something God can do. So you can see this partnership here, many other verses. But for our purposes, I think you can see our point. Let's go back to to my own um, struggle and challenges. I had to lean into God's resources that he was providing that I neglected in isolation. Clark, I've given you the Holy Spirit inside of you when you trusted Christ. He's the one that has the power to change you. Walk in the Spirit. I've given you my word. God, I don't want to be angry anymore. Well, I've given you my word to renew your mind and to change the way you respond to outcomes you can't control. Is he not good and gracious, his word, his spirit? Guess what else he's given? He's given me you guys, a church, a family of faith that I can confess sin to and disarm those emotions, disarm those sins and their power over me to find help as I battle through my own sin of anger. And guess what else? I've given you the gospel to preach to yourself when you tend to walk in shame and you think you cannot change. The gospel's good enough for that moment, Clark. You see, God is the one efforting, committed to my growth. If I lean into his resources, he does a work. And so we see that partnership here. And that partnership can apply to anybody in here and what you're going through as a believer in Jesus Christ you're battling with lust or pornography, or you find yourself in a situation where your tongue is always being used to belittle and to be condescending and to harsh and, and to others, and you think, I can't change. I hate the shame of knowing I shouldn't have said that. Can I get a hand here? Yeah, right. The gospel's enough for that, and he's at work to effectively change you from the inside out, and he's given us these resources. Let me sum it up with this, at least this little section here. See it on the screen. A gospel-motivated church obeys through divine enablement, and I've stolen that phrase from one of our church mentors here at Fellowship. If you know Robert Cup, it's the phrase that he would use, through divine enablement and then dependent discipline, dependent Discipline, it's discipline that is dependent 
on the strength and the energy that's found in Christ. Now, I've stolen that from a book that helped transform me years ago. I was working through um, Galatians and the book of Romans, and um, I came across this book in a seminary class called The Discipline of Grace. You can see it on the screen right there. Its author is Dr. Jerry Bridges. He's a long time. He's no, no longer with us. He's with Jesus, um, navigator staff person. And um, he's got a chapter in this book where he unpacks this partnership. You work it out, for it is God who works in you. Well, what does that look like? And so he teases that out um, in this book. And he actually makes this statement. He says, there's not a single instance in the New Testament teaching on holiness or growth in Jesus, where we're taught to depend on the Holy Spirit without a corresponding exercise of discipline on our part. Lord, I need to grow in my prayer life. All right, we'll pray. But pray dependent on the Spirit. God, I really want to grow in the Word. You have to read and memorize and to meditate You have to do that, not so you can puff yourself up, but dependent on God. God, I really want to work through some of these fleshly desires I have that I can't control, Um, be it food, be it my mouth and how I speak to people, be it my sexual appetite and an ethic that's outside the context of marriage. Well, have you considered fasting? Depending on him through a disciplined act? So he gives us these resources, dependent discipline. Would encourage you to, this would be a great small group book if you're looking for a book to go through um, right now or even in the winter months um, from a spiritual formation perspective, the discipline of grace. Now, we're gonna get really, really practical here, all right? Because Paul does. He brings up a specific issue that they need to apply these gospel truths this gospel motivation, this work of God in them that they're supposed to act on, okay? What is it? There seems to be a threat to unity inside this little church here in Philippi. We don't know specifically what the issue is, but right after he says this, he says this, do nothing or do everything without grumbling or arguing. Some of the versions you have may say complaining. Some of the versions may say disputing. Now, we have some clues here, and this is where, if you're a good Bible student, you allow not just the word, but the context of the sentence, the paragraph, the chapter, to interpret what this means for us. What did he say in verses 2, 1 through 4, the first part of it? In in, in verse 3 there, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The reason he worded it like this. And then he says, don't look to your own interests. Something's going on that's causing division and there's self-interest involved. Later, we read the whole letter in 4.2 and we'll spend a week working through some of this. We see this and he's pleading with, in 4.2, with Yodia. And he says, I plead with Sintash. I know some of you want to say Sintiki because it sounds cooler. It's Sintash to be of the same mind in the Lord. In this little church in Philippi, there's a couple of people that are at odds with one another, and they're not getting along. Can that happen inside a church? It sure can, because some of you have emailed me about some of that. 
right? Yes, and that's God's work in and through us to help each other through those things. We don't know what they're grumbling or arguing about. I thought maybe they don't like the house they're meeting in, and someone's murmuring about that. Uh, Maybe they have an opinion politically on the local Roman governor and who should be in that position. You know, maybe they're arguing about that. Maybe they don't like the way a pastor handled a situation. Um, Maybe they're arguing because they disagree on how the tithe is being used. We don't know specifically what they're arguing about, but it's a threat to unity. And it's a threat to their testimony. And so I thought, you know, what are some of our temptations? And you have to tease this out in your discussion this week in your small group. So what are our temptations to grumble and argue? They're likely connected to selfish ambition, vain conceit, self-interest, things that aren't core doctrinal issues, but they're things that we can get sideways with each other on and start to get sidetracked from the gospel message, and it's hurting their testimony. I've put three P words up there, preference, personality, and then certain priorities that some churches have that others don't. These are things that we tend to have disagreements about or argue about, but I want to clear up uh, just two things real quick when it comes to this kind of stuff. When we're in this room gathered, and when you show up to your small group and that church expression, your first default should be, God, I'm here to worship you. And so I'm going to turn my eyes upward, and my focus would be on you. The second one is because of how great you are, you've also given us the great commandment that says we're to consider others and to sacrificially love them. And so the first thing you should think of when you walk in here on Sunday morning, God, I want my focus to be on you, and I want to consider others. Those two things, they come way before your preferences or opinions, and it's okay to have them, all right? But those are the two things that we should be focused on. And then Paul, he brings in the gospel advancement, the mission that they're on. But what do you grumble about when you come here? He's concerned about unity and the advancement of the gospel. And there's a reason, and we see that in verse 15. So that, in order that, do this so that this will happen. You would be blameless and pure as a church, children without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That phrase is likely from, um, it's a story of the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 32, actually, where they're grumbling and complaining towards God and then amongst themselves. And let's not be like that. Let's be like what's likely a reference to Daniel chapter 12 when we look out into the future and we see those who follow Jesus and have adopted him as their king, and they're supposed to shine as stars and be lights in this dark pagan culture. That's why this matters, because there's a gospel mission. Y'all stop arguing. Stop complaining. Stop grumbling, Philippian church. Uh, You're a testimony to a world that's watching and looking in. And then Paul, he puts himself out there as an example. He said, look, guys, because of what Jesus has done in me, because of what he did on the cross and resurrection, um, I've given my life, you being one example, Philippian church, 
is one who is pouring himself out to see this gospel advance, but also to see it advance in you, Philippian church, and to see you formed into the image of Jesus. Y'all live this out so that I can feel confident as I age and near my end that I did not run or labor in vain. Again, you feel that toil there as he plays his part. Verse 17, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service that comes from your faith, he's comparing himself to a sacrifice that is made by an Israelite or a priest who has set up a sacrifice, be it a a bull, a ram, be it a goat, the sacrifice is laid out. It happens on the altar. And on the side of the altar, there's wine that's poured out to the side to bring completion to the sacrifice. That wine then fades away off the altar. And so part of what he's communicating, he's saying, hey, I'm expending, I'm pouring out my life as a sacrifice for your benefit and to the glory of God. This is the kind of church he's asking us and he's asking the Philippian church to be. The gospel is worth giving your life up for. And yet he finds great joy in this sacrifice. And he's inviting them to be priests of God, if you will. Pour yourselves out. It's the same language that's used if you're writing, taking notes in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2, where we're to be living sacrifices, and he viewed them as priests as well. And then he ends with this, our passage today. He goes, I'm glad, and I rejoice with all of you because of this, so you should be glad and rejoice with me. This is two of the 16 times that he uses this idea of joy or rejoice um, inside our letter here. He wants them to lean into joy. When you think of sacrifice, I know many of you are not thinking about that. When you're thinking about grumbling, and complaining in the work of growing in Christ. You're not thinking about joy and rejoicing. He is. Rejoice with me. This is good news. So this, is, this would be my, my pleading with you. You're my church family. We're in this together. Um, you've seen my misses. I know many of you, and I'm not going to share all of your misses either in front of one another, right? But I want to ask you, as he works in and through you, and he fashions you into the image of Jesus, works the gospel out in you to enable our obedience. Let's follow in Paul's example, who followed in the example of Jesus to lay his life down for one another. And let's lay aside our grumbling, our arguing, our complaining over issues of preference that aren't the gospel advancement so that Jesus is made famous in our city. So when those who look in outside of Christ and they see us, they see that we give up our preferences for one another. We sacrifice for one another. And in doing that, we have great joy. This is good news. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the work of your son on our behalf in the gospel, even death on a cross. And now he's exalted to your right hand and he intercedes for us. Father, thanks for being committed to the work of change for sure in my life. Um, just even that I can be here with my church family in this moment 
Only you are capable of doing that. And so we give you great praise and glory. I pray for my friends and brothers and sisters in the faith in here this morning. God, give them the courage to lean into you and the good news of Jesus, to change them, um, to lay aside and to turn and repent from their grumbling, their arguing, their complaining, and to rejoice that this mission is worth it. In that great name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. us and let's respond in singing this morning. What gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace.
Son is seated at your right hand. God, that your work is finished, it's been accomplished on the cross. And so, Father, we look to you for our, our salvation. God, that is enough. Thank you for that. Lord, we love you. It's our privilege, it's our honor, it's our joy to worship you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Church, this morning before we leave, I'd like to read a benediction over us. And so, let me pray this over us this morning. May you, people of God, Know that God, our Father, made you and guides your every step. That Jesus Christ gave his life for you and brings you new life. The Spirit keeps you in the Lord's presence and empowers you to serve. May Yahweh continue to bless you and move you to give thanks. Before we leave, um, I want to remind us about the prayer room and communion. We have switched up communion a little bit. I know a lot of you are taking that every week and it's normally in the prayer room. We're moving that. So it's on this side of the room to your left now. If you go through these doors up the stairs, there's a whole communion area if you'd like to partake in communion. And then as always, the prayer room is available through the doors on your right. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week, church.